Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Expressed podcast. We're already fully expressed here with Carrie Nola, who is a retired psychotherapist, and my new favorite nickname, her clients call her the Shadow Mama. We're going to be diving into, I imagine, some shadow on this episode, as well as really anything that Shadow Mama wants to dive into today. In case you haven't already figured out, I absolutely love this woman sitting next to me. We just got done with a retreat together with a friend of ours, Dr. Matt, and I got to know Carrie a lot deeper in that retreat and just appreciate her so much, the work that she's doing, the person that she is, and yeah, excited to share this conversation, which you guys are listening, you probably know by now, we have no outcome or intention for where this is going. So. Either my listeners hate me or they love me. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. Could be Welcome, dangerous Karen. and fun. Hello. Thanks Hello. for having me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite things about the Fully Expressed podcast is that there is no agenda. And sometimes that means that we go way off and far in left field. But I also like doing that sometimes because it brings some things to the middle that people aren't usually paying attention to. However, before we go into far left field, because I think we're going to go there, let's start with middle of the road of what Carrie Nola does in this world so that we can get that part out of the way and then see where we go from there. Sure. Yes. So before I talk about what I do now, there's some history that feels significant and I started out my professional journey as a psychotherapist specializing in complex trauma and dissociation. And the work really found me. Like I knew from a very small child, little girl, I used to tell my parents I wanted to be a 911 operator. I loved being in crisis settings and saving the day. And I used to sit at the kitchen table and 911, what's your emergency? You'd practice it. I did. I practiced. And then I'd play and make my sister make up scenarios and we'd solve them. Mm -hmm. So I always had a heart for going into the dark and being a light. And I didn't know what that would mean as I got older, but went to school and became a therapist and trauma just really found its way into my office time and time again. And I just felt home. I knew what to say. I knew how to be. And of course, I had training and there was something very natural and organic for me in those spaces and so much healing and love and just awakening really transpired. And I thought I would do that until the day that I died. Mm. And then and then, <laughs> in around 2016, I started having a lot of physical symptoms that made it challenging to sit for long periods of time and knowing that my body is such a wise teacher got really curious about why these symptoms were emerging and what they were really trying to tell me. Mm. And I was avoiding the message for a really long time because I didn't want to hear that I wasn't meant to sit in that chair and be across from these incredible souls that were so courageous to let me hold their healing with them. And I did listen <laughs> eventually. Mm, eventually. It took me a while stubborn and I like to have my way and <laughs> realizing that when I obey the divine, things tend to happen way better than better. I could ever write yeah. <laughs> the script for. 
So yeah, I finally admitted that my time as a traditional and holistic-minded psychotherapist needed to come to an end. And simultaneously, I was also helping other healers to build their businesses and began to realize that I could make more of an impact by helping other therapists and healers to feel fully expressed Mm. in their gifts. And so for the last nearly five years, I've been an intuitive mentor and guide for other healers and therapists growing their business. But the interesting thing about my work is it's not necessarily the external, the structures and strategies. It's more really what internally and energetically would keep you from being the version of you that you need to be to answer this call so that you can be a match for the clients you're called to serve so that you can have a system that feels safe to receive the amount of abundance that you are meant to receive in exchange for your sacred service. And so that often looks like shadow work and clearing lineage trauma. It's interesting because I am like a therapist for the therapist business now. You know, it's like what traumas would keep you from feeling safe, speaking your truth and being the full version of you out loud in public. Mm -hmm. Therapists are often and healers are really good at the healing part. But then when it comes to talking about ourselves or admitting that we want to make money, helping people, we can feel really vulnerable so much so that it can be paralyzing. So that's really a passion of mine to support healing entrepreneurs and being fully expressed so the world can get the healing gifts that they need. Beautiful. And the world needs the healing gifts for sure. So when did that shift for you and why did Carrie not sit on the couch with her clients anymore? Is there an answer there? Is it just a bigger mission? Is it just more impact this way? I think so. I mean, it's because it's what I was told and asked to do. And I think what my soul agreed to long before I Mm -hmm. got here, I think more personally vulnerable would be that I was playing too small. Mm. And from the outside looking in, I had a very successful practice, always full. Other professionals consulted me often on my areas of expertise. I had written two books. I was leading retreats and working in a way that was very unique. And it wasn't my full expression. It wasn't Mm. honest. It was hiding in a way because I was very good at it. And astrologically, I came to discover that it's actually my south node, which is what I've already mastered. Mm -hmm. And my soul is here to move in the direction of being more public, more visible, and more vocal. And so hiding in that little office, my spirit was like, get me out of here. This isn't enough. This isn't all there is. Felt like Mm. I needed to answer that. Also, in honor of the courage that my clients have and the ways that I invite other people into their full expression, you know, I couldn't very well, felt awfully incongruent of me to be staying small when I was inviting other people to play full out. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. And you answered that so eloquently. I realized I didn't ask that very clearly, but that's what I was getting at is that see so many people getting in the comfortable of what we do okay or good. You said your body started giving you signs. They're like, don't, can't be sitting on this couch all day, every day. What are some other signs that you get? How do they come to you or like, how do they come to your clients? 
the body for me is like the vessel of truth. I mean, it's the thing that separates us from human experience and spiritual experience. So my body is very loud and I often have a lot of anxiety around what does this symptom mean? And so it it gets my attention very quickly. So for me in those moments, it was very pain in my Mm -hmm. back, just difficulty sitting for long periods of time. I started having trouble breathing head pain, neck pain, and all the doctors could find nothing. Yeah. And they kept saying it was anxiety and really started leaning more on my, you know, spiritual resources, body workers, energy practitioners, and really tuning in intuitively and getting a sense that this was a bigger message. This was an ego death because I felt like I was physically dying. And when traditional Western medicine right, Mm -hmm. said, no, I mean, I got all the tests, all mm-hmm. the things. And it was my spiritual mentors that were saying, you are dying. Yeah. You know, this version of you is trying to leave and you're trying to hold on to it. So half of this symptomology and pain is an expression of your resistance to acknowledging what is like, let die what's dying. Yeah. Your attempt to hold on to it is really creating a lot more pain than this needs to be. Mm. Like looking back, I had so many experiences like that, that I'm like, oh, Wow, just resisting the the next iteration. So, why is it? I imagine most people listening to the show like they're they're tracking what you're saying. What is it about the average mindset? We'll just call it America of like, oh, this is a physical thing that's explained by X Y Z and this back problem or whatever. Versus what you're describing is an interconnected system where these physical unexplained injuries and pains and signs and symptoms are maybe tied and related to things that aren't just physical. And there's a lot of quotations there. Oh, I think a lot of ancient wisdom around the value of the body has been buried as uh, Western medicine has become the highest standard of care and the value, the what we value, and also the masculine principle mm. of go, go, go. And there's a light and shadow. You know, there are gifts in both the doing and the being. And I think over time, there's been an over-prioritization and an over-valuation on the doing, on the Western perspective. And I think that's what we're here to wake back up, mm-hmm. the value of other realms of truth <laughs> yeah. that coexist. Yeah. Your clients now, I imagine, are coming from that world, right? They're coming from largely masculine Western mind science, therapy, rules, boundaries world. How do they respond? Like when they hear you speak, and this is the first introduction to this, like what's the response? Is it like, oh my God, what the <laughs> It's mixed, you know, it really depends. I've found it interesting. Often my marketing and my external introduction is a bit meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. So I don't go right into like the ultimate message that I tend to have and give when they're on the inside, because I believe in a little bit of foreplay, you know, Mm. we got to lube them up. (laughs) We got to loosen things up. I was a sex therapist, so yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get away from that. Mm -hmm. But it's true. You know, we have to make sure that one is prepared for the message because if we're giving a message that's higher 
or different than mm-hmm. what they're ready to hear. We're really not doing anyone a service. So mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty of me having been a therapist and being traditionally trained and knowing the language. Mm-hmm. I'm able to meet therapists and traditionally trained medical practitioners and providers where they are and then create an opening for what if there's more? Mm. What if this block or this resistance or this stuckness that you feel isn't what you think it is? Mm. You know, what if it's something else? And oftentimes people have tried all the other things and then they find their way to me. Interestingly enough, that was a pattern in my therapy world too, Mm. that I tended to get the clients that had tried all the things and it didn't work. And then at that point, they're curious and frustrated enough to be willing to open the third door, as Go I to call the weird it. weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know if it works, I, you know, yeah. and this clearly hasn't. So yeah. what if, mm-hmm. what if it could be true that there's something else influencing mm-hmm. your progress, your success, your outcome, your healing? Would you be willing to look at that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the questions that they're asking themselves when they do finally find you? Like what's bubbling? bubbling up from the depths. Mm. First word that I heard when you asked that was permission. Mm. I think a lot of times they're asking some version of, am I allowed to make more money? Am I allowed to want that? Am I allowed to want more? Am I allowed to have it easier? Am I allowed to not overwork? Am I a good person if Mm. I want to make a better living Mm -hmm. serving is this allowed to be easier? Why am I so stuck? Why do I love what I do? And yet I'm so miserable. Mm-hmm. I don't have time or space for my family or for other things that I love. I think there's frustration of like what they thought it would be and then what it actually is. Yeah. I think that's so common for all of us. We're chasing something and then we get it and we're like, oh, that's not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Like some version of like that healer teacher archetype where it requires us to serve others to hopefully fill us up in the end. And then when it doesn't, we just keep working and seeking more to do it. And at the end of the day, it's a never ending. It's like the wounded healer. And I think a lot of times I certainly did got a lot of value from my clients results. Like I felt worthy. I felt good enough. And then what happens when you get the client change isn't happening mm. or change is taking a long time or they're mad and yeah. frustrated at the process? How do we hold that space while still being in the knowing that we are enough? That's one of the things I talk about. A little business veering here, yeah. but it really frustrates me when people coach around pricing mm. and they try to link the dollar. You have to charge what you're worth. Well, that's really dangerous because mm-hmm. we're priceless. Yeah, It's like you're trying to step into your worth, but then you're trying to link your worth to your price. And mm-hmm. so somewhere there's a disconnect because it's not actually the highest truth. Mm-hmm. And that's just an interesting conversation of how you reconcile that. How do you reconcile that? Because I have the same belief around that. Like there's no such thing as charging your worth. There's literally no such thing. So like how do we reconcile especially people coming from the place of overworked, underpaid, or they're just overgiving. What do you take them through? Like, what's the... One of my favorite questions to ask is, if you knew that everyone would still love you, you'd still belong, you'd still be safe, what do you want to charge? Mm. And then we feel that number and we see how far off is it from what they have been charging. 
And then we look at that gap and we feel like what has to happen to get us from here to here? What would keep that from happening? And really it's the energetic, like who do I have to be in order to calibrate to that level of receiving? Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes we just want to bump right into the next level and that can be quite violent to our bodies and to our energy systems and we can collapse. So I ask my clients, what would stretch you without breaking you? Mm. And how do we feel that in the body? And we role play, you know, different prices and conversations and we feel that out. That's why I also love to work in groups because, you know, I have the this healer circle and they're watching their colleagues charge more and survive and thrive. And it's like, oh, now I see something that's possible because there's a significant scarcity mentality in our society in general but certainly in the world of healing. And so when they see colleagues who are making amounts of money, you know, I've interviewed over a thousand healers for discovery calls and I ask them, what do you want to make? And the average salary that I hear them say is like $60,000 a year, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I ask them if I poke a little bit, it's like, well, that's what they think they can make. That's what they think yeah. they're allowed to make. That's right. what they think not the full expression of their soul. And I believe that each of us has a frequency that we're meant to experience in this incarnation. And if we're not being honest about that, we could really be minimizing the potential and the experience that we're meant to have and how we're meant to serve. Because yeah. if we're operating at our highest abundance frequency and we're allowing ourselves to be that receptive, we're also in a higher position to, to give. And I also believe that different frequencies of payment unlock different levels of healing. And I have an intuitive pricing structure. All of my clients pay me something different hmm. because I have noticed that one person paying one thing isn't the same as another person yeah. paying it. The amount of energy that is asked of me, mm -hmm. the amount of energy that they have to, the leap that they have to make. And I stay out of that business mm -hmm. and I just let spirit let me know. Mm -hmm. And I've even been so crazy as to, um, I was filling a retreat once and me and my business partner had uh, clients tell us what they wanted to pay. Mm -hmm. And we wrote down a number two. Every single person was within a hundred dollars of what we said, what? what we heard and what they heard to pay. What? It was fascinating. That is very fascinating. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> The wild side of I know. business. And I've been so taken care of. I feel yeah. so blessed because I like to think I know what to do and the right answer mm -hmm. and all the maps and five-step plans. And I found that nobody knows best than mm -hmm. the great yeah. <laughs> cosmic leader, call that God, <laughs> universe, spirit, nature, whatever mm -hmm. you might. Yeah. One of my good friends who coaches as well, and he's like, I charge the number that I get fucking excited about to show up, period. Yep. That's where it all comes from. That's where the gold comes from, the gift, the healing. And I think about that all the time for myself is like when I'm worried about money or I'm resenting this agreement or whatever other negative baggage I'm carrying around, I'm not fully showing up dragging a weight into this session or into this retreat and I constantly remind myself of as well and fortunately taken care of 
And like, it feels like such a stretch to say that thinking about where I was in scarcity, even just like a couple of years ago. And the what changed for me was me. It wasn't like my external environment or anything like that. It started like that changed, started to change, but that was like a long lagging effect. Like once I changed, like everything started looking differently. Amazing how that happens. Amazing how that happens. That's as if there's something to that. <laughs> it's like we're creating our experience in some weird way. What? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? That's another one of my favorite conversations is we like to take credit for the things that are going well in our life. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, damn, I manifested that. But yep. then when things are sucky, it's like, oh, the economy sucks or, mm-hmm. oh, this person did that to me. And it's like, we're either creating our experience or we're not. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's different levels of that whole conversation. And to really live an empowered life, we need to look at yeah. what is our impact and our influence on the experiences that we're having and how can we show up in a way that really allows the most magic to unravel. Mm. What are you currently creating? What magic is unraveling in your life? <laughs> I love that question. Some of it's a little bit of a secret. <laughs> and I can speak a bit to it. So I'm in the middle of, of a big up level. We've talked a little bit about the fact that I have been coasting a bit, went through a burst of business growth about two years ago, birthed a live event for the first time. And it's been really successful and just such a beautiful expression of me and connecting with my community and the programs that have birthed from that. Then I kind of went into the rest period and just enjoyed the fruits of those labors. And I can hear and feel spirit knocking again. There's more. There's more. You know, whenever I hear that there's more, there's like this decision, there's choice point, you know, this mm-hmm. crossroads. It's like I have a very abundant life. I've got a great practice, a beautiful service, and I can stop here or I can continue answering the call. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really seductive. It's like, is that call coming from my ego? Like yeah. I need to make more money. I have to help more people. I have mm-hmm. to look a certain way externally. Or is that coming from my soul that's mm-hmm. saying, no, there's more for you to do. There's more people who you're called to serve. And to me, that feels like this right now. So I'm in the process of hiring a director of operations and really scaling my Mm -hmm. company in a way that will allow me to be of greater service. And it's been scary. Mm -hmm. I'm used to, you know, I've grown out of just the one-on-one model. You know, I've got products and services and events and groups and affiliate income and all those multiple streams. And I have had limited support in terms of team. It's Mm -hmm. been a very small thing. And so I'm like, okay, I finally met someone who I think can boss me around. (laughs) (laughs) I don't follow rules very well. So I think that's going to be an exciting expansion. Amazing. Who do you need to be or what do you need to shift to step into that? I need to admit what a big fucking deal I am. Mm. I think that's. The big thing, there's a humbleness, you know, that I always desire to embody and hold on to. And I think to serve at this next level, I really need to admit that I was made for this. I was made for this, that this is who I am. And anytime I'm abandoning 
the truth of that, I can't get access to the actions, the inspiration, the next moves. It's challenging to step into that if I'm not admitting that that's who I actually am. Because mm. then it feels like, I think many entrepreneurs feel that imposter syndrome. It's like, who do you think you are? And I've really had to start answering that question. Who am I? Mm. Yeah, I'm a woman who is meant to serve at this level. And I have evidence of what happens when I do that and what's happened as I've stepped into other versions of myself. And so it's interesting. It doesn't really matter how many times we do it. The next leap of faith <laughs> is always terrifying. I know. It's like, I mean, I'm 41 at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like I've had a few leaps of faith in yeah. my four decades, but it's like, it's still scary because I don't know if this is going to be the time. This is the one that doesn't work. <laughs> know, yeah, like, it doesn't. And what does that even mean? I, like, know. I don't make money or yeah. it's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I've had lots of ideas that haven't worked out and mm -hmm. I'm still here and, you know, to here to all as well. Yeah. When you shared that your journey is resonating so much for me, it's very similar to what I'm, I'm currently going through. And you talked about the voice and the guidance, how do you personally discern the difference between this is my ego that wants more versus it's fucking time? A couple of ways. My body, as I've talked about before, is a great guide and barometer for that. I've learned over years of meditation and just connection with my body, where my body communicates ego and where my body communicates soul. There's just different sensations and quality of sensation. And usually the ego for me, is very pressured. There's like a force, like you have to do this and hurry up and it's got to be like this and it's got to be like that. There's very noisy and frantic almost. There's like this urgency that feels familiar now as my ego, whereas the soul is very clear and there is a fierceness to it, but it doesn't have a frantic quality. It has an invitation that's very firm. Yeah. yeah. And also my mentors, you know, I mm -hmm. never do this alone and I ask to be shown and every time I'm stepping into that next season, you know, one of my mentors says it's time. Mm. You know, I think the symptoms you're having are symbolic of there's something else. And just really grateful to be able to be reflected back to that when I lose my way, <laughs> that there's people around me that I trust mm -hmm. to know me and my process well enough to help show me what I can't see. Yeah. Speak to that a little bit. What's your process of... I guess, hiring or trusting someone to be that honest reflection for you when you're not seeing? That's a great question. I'm very picky mm. about who I invite into my inner circle. And well, we just learned over the weekend about integral consciousness. And I really crave and require mentorship that is at a level of awareness where they're not trying to impart their path and process on me, mm -hmm. but they can meet me in a way that reflects me back to what they see in me and for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a knowing that's mm -hmm. in me as I meet different people about whether or not they have that capability. And so I'm very discerning in terms of how does it feel in my body? Are they in service to me and the we, or are they in service to themselves? And certainly I want them to gain from the interaction as well. But I think it takes just a certain frequency of awareness to serve in that way. Mm. And I take my time. You know, I don't oh. rush to make decisions about who I let in. And once I pick someone, they're usually kind of a lifer. And we have different seasons <laughs> together following yeah. the 
ebbs and flows. And I like somebody that I can grow with and that can grow with me over time. And Mm -hmm. I love just depth and intimacy. And I have a lot of male mentors right now. Yeah. I find it's a beautiful compliment. And I like their structure, their sturdiness, Mm -hmm. their steadfastness. I feel like they can like see the vision and really hold it in moments when I waver, (laughs) which is really nice. Yeah. Let's go into that a little bit. If you don't mind me sharing your embodiment of your own pleasure, your own tapping into your feminine was beautiful to watch. And I think it was of service to a lot of the women that were at that retreat. Talk about your journey to that, like this business, masculine, bouncing, flowing, feminine life that we live and trying to hold both simultaneously. Where are you at in that journey? It's a juicy one. So, yeah, when I was building my psychotherapy practice, I mean, it was so intense and there was ease and effortlessness in some ways, but I definitely overworked pleasure. I wouldn't say was a high priority. I didn't know that it could be. <laughs> like when I thought of business and yeah. pleasure, it just oh. they felt like enemies or like uh-huh. opposites. And now it's like, oh no, those are partners. They play together. And so... I think that was part of my body as well. It was like I had been become so rigid and I lost the water element. I lost the flow. I lost the radiance, the light. And I started becoming very dim. Mm. And I think I was in a lot of pain because of that. So I sought mentorship to really assist me in softening my body, helping me to feel safe in my softness, in my gentleness and to trust that from that place, I could be a powerful magnet and attractor of the experiences, the inspirations, the ideas, the partners, the resources, the opportunities that I needed. And I've really witnessed that so powerfully over the last several years. And I think now I'm I'm coming really into more balance and unification of it's not picking between the two, the structure or the flow. It's knowing what each moment calls for. And then having access to that, some of my mentors call that energetic agility. So it's not, I'm this or I'm that. I'm man, I'm woman, I'm feminine, I'm masculine. It's what does this moment call for? And is my nervous system agile enough to where I can be that? And it's taken training. I've been in training for that for the last two years, very consciously. And I imagine I always will be to some degree, but it feels (laughs) nice to feel a little bit steadier and more trusting of that process. Yeah, you seem steady in that. Even in our conversations, I can feel you bouncing to like different edges of that spectrum and like you're able to play in all of it. You're welcome. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing in life right now, if you even call them challenges? What are the things that you're looking at, dealing with, being with? Speed bumps, obstacles, sure. Just saw a quote the other day, something about that, that obstacles are a part of the journey. They're not, you know, I think I've been frustrated with the whole like follow your bliss mentality, yeah. right? Yes. And it's like, I use the childbirth analogy a lot. And yeah. it's like, you know, sometimes you have to push hard and mm-hmm. it hurts. Hurts. And otherwise the creation is not going to make it earth side. Yeah. And I think of that as I'm building my business and my life. It's mm-hmm. like sometimes it's intense and I need to know when to push and what are the resources that help me with that push. And I've been using the phrase like I'm in a moment of revving up, Mm. revving up. And I think one of my biggest challenges is 
feeling the part of me that doesn't want to rev up, that Mm. has really enjoyed coasting. And then even a smaller, younger part of me that feels like she just wants to throw herself on the floor and throw a tantrum about, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do this. And really being a witness to all the different aspects of myself. And then really from my woman, from my highest self, making a choice of like, yes, I can collapse. Yes, things are hard. Yes, things are sad. Yes, things are scary. And I choose this. And so in order to do that, the energy that I have to cultivate, the emotions I need to cultivate, the behaviors I have to cultivate, like right now I'm in the process and the challenge of choosing that until it's a habit again, you know, because I haven't been in this revving up season in a minute. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it is. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Beautiful. What is it about, and we talked about this when we were at the retreat, but in the development process, as you come back to this process of revving up again, you may have just answered that, but like, is there a way where you're holding it or seeing it differently than the last time this came through? Yeah, I think last time it just did me without a lot of uh, like awareness. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh shit, this yes. is okay. I just, yep, wasn't a lot just of... done. <laughs> just got done. And sometimes that's really fantastic. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and there were a lot of beautiful aspects yeah. of it, but this time it's more choosing to mm, get done. It's choosing to let this energy run through me and... There's just more consciousness, more mm-hmm. awareness, more choice. It's also very nuanced. Like I can see each of the steps more clearly. And they're not steps that I'm making up from my ego. They're steps that like I'm f- sensing and then taking and sensing and then taking, which I think is a different thing too. It's like I don't just make a list to make a list. Or somebody told me these are the five steps you take when you're scaling your business. It's like, <laughs> no, what are the steps that my body and soul are showing me yeah. that are are right for me. And mm. I think that's always different given yeah. what I've already cultivated. Everybody's different. You know, some yeah. people wait for clarity and then take action. Other energetics require mm-hmm. that you take the action and the clarity emerges from there. So it's like those little subtleties of knowing myself better at this point to be able to approach it mm. with that kind of sensitivity mm-hmm. to my uniqueness and let that be okay. Yeah. Not looking around who's doing what seduced by everyone Mm -hmm. else's approach. Yeah. It could be easy to do. So easy. Oh, like, well, they made it to that milestone. So what did they do? And I think there's some great wisdom in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I talk to my colleagues and things, but looking from the outside without really knowing someone or their process, it's Mm -hmm. dangerous because you don't know what's going on. You're seeing the highlight reel and you have no idea what they've done Mm -hmm. behind the scenes to get there. So Mm. I more count on my inner circle for support with those kind of things. And when I'm in a creative process, I actually shut off Mm -hmm. the temptation to look at other people's things Mm -hmm. because it's just too tempting to trick myself into thinking that they have something that I need. So unless I get a clear directive from my higher self, like look there Check that out. I tend to just... Yeah, it's like you've got this beautiful blank canvas where anything's possible and you're drawing this scene. And then someone over here is like, hey, you should draw a pink elephant on there. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to pick... And then like, that's all that's in your head. Exactly. And, and let, let's be clear. People have no problem telling you yeah. that the pink elephant <laughs> and where it should go where and it should go, how right. big it should be. And it's just like, maybe. Yeah, right? maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. 
And I think in a lot of ways, that energy is useful for some people at certain stages that are just do something. This is a thing that might work a little bit and help. And I think that's the part that really started to shift for me in my role is noticing and really feeling into the truth of everyone being at different stages in their developmental journey. And at every stage, something different is useful. And I very much fell into many times in my life that the thing that I had was the thing. (laughs) And everyone needs the thing. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, the thing doesn't work for everyone at every time. And that took some ego deaths along the way to realize that, like in my own journey and then also in those that I support as well. We can't know that until we know it. And I I think there's something so powerful about thinking that everybody needs the thing. Mm -hmm. It really helps us to own Mm -hmm. that what we're offering is powerful, is helpful, is valuable. And then as we mature, as we grow, we start seeing things we couldn't see, but it's necessary at different points. Yeah, it is. It very much is. Like, I like to observe people. I like observe a lot. And we talked a little bit about like integral and I'm starting to have intuitive senses of where people are at by just watching them, sometimes without even hearing them. One thing that I'm tapping into, you talked a lot about the body, is that I spent 15 years as like a personal trainer in the fitness industry and just like observing thousands of bodies move. And there's some code in me that I can read someone's emotional patterns, what they're going through. I can read their traumas based on their body. And I don't know how to fucking explain it. though. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it in words that understand that even I can understand. But like, I know it. I'm like, whoa. It's a pretty magical gift. I love that you're owning that. Yeah. And and what if we don't need to know? It's just amazing Mm -hmm. that you are able to perceive that and then offer that back to someone mm-hmm. as a gift. Yeah. How many years they've probably tried to figure that out and maybe didn't have words for it. Or mm-hmm. I think our intuition is such a gift in every area of life, mm-hmm. but certainly our personal development, our own intuition and being gifted by the perception of other discerning and attuned beings. Our first experience together, you were the guest expert on our mastery program for training camp for the soul and your delivery, just the way that you showed up actually gave me a breath of fresh air an amount of permission to follow my intuition that was very supportive. And I know I told you that in the past, but I think it was something about the knowing of your background and the, what you are doing now in this world that, was enough for me to trust what I already knew to be true, but was questioning. I guess there's never a done, but when was the moment where you started to trust your intuition? And what was the catalyst for that? There's been so many moments, I think, where I've trusted more. But the very significant life event that turned me on to something bigger 
and really got me questioning and deepening into my process was the murder of a dear friend of mine who was actually an intern at my office. And in that process of so much fear and doubt and like going from, oh, that's something you see on like Dateline to shit, I'm, this is my life. I ended up going to a breathwork session for grieving therapists. I found this, I mean, talk about a synchronicity, right? (laughs) I was sitting in this lobby and there's a flyer and it said, you know, breathwork for grieving therapists. And I thought, how do, what? Okay. I didn't know there were others of us. I mean, it makes sense. Okay. It's literally created for you in that moment. I know. And it was literally like two months after this and I was having pretty significant PTSD from this experience. And I went to that and had this profound experience where my ancestors came and they said, forgive everyone in advance. They're already sorry. And that did something to my body, a level of forgiveness and a message, and it felt like a directive. And also, my friend who was killed showed me herself on the path where she was killed, and the person that killed her was walking toward her, and he asked her in my vision, are you ready to go? And she said, yes, thank you for your willingness to do this for the growth and development of all the people who will be left behind. (sighs) I still have the chills. Yeah, she's got that too. And my PTSD disappeared in that moment. And I wouldn't believe it if I didn't experience it, but it was just one of those things. And I just understood that the way that we see the world and what we think is happening and what is actually happening might be very different. And it just shifted. It's like that kaleidoscope where you're seeing Mm -hmm. one thing and then you're seeing something else. And I couldn't unsee it. And I went back to my practice and my clients started saying, you don't hate the person that hurt me anymore. And I never told them that. Oh, shit. But it was true. That shifted. And I said, you're right. And what does that mean for you and for our work? And they said, you know, I I both love it and hate it because it gives me permission to admit that I love that person too. Often it was a family member. And then my client started disclosing things that they may have done that they were ashamed of that they had never told anyone before. And... I started realizing that we are both victim and perpetrator. We are both right and wrong, good and bad, evil, whatever. And we're here to experience different sides of that. And the second we do this us versus them, Mm. it's dangerous because it creates disconnection. We disown parts of us. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that I got here because I realized your specific question was, how did I come to trust my intuition? Mm. But I think this awakening Mm-hmm. process was what dropped me into the fact that there was even something helping me, guiding me, something bigger. I mean, sure, I believed in God, universe, things before, but my relationship with that energy became more significant and mm. cultivated in this moment. And I started feeling like I had a right, like I had heard this as a concept before. I was listening to Wayne Dyer years before this, and uh, I remember him saying, Who are the braver souls, the ones that come here and are victimized or the ones that come here and perpetrate because they're the ones that are hated and they're the ones that are shunned from our society. So it brought me this shift again, like, oh, (laughs) I don't know, maybe. And it's just I love playing with how am I seeing something 
And what if that wasn't true? Like, what if this was true instead? Mm-hmm. How does that feel in my body? How do I treat people? How do I treat myself? How do I show up in the world? Yeah. And then I didn't really feel safe or trust myself because at that point it was just a concept. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, maybe this. Mm-hmm. But then when this happened and I had this lived experience of someone perpetrating something so barbaric to someone that I loved and I was able to find forgiveness. It just really happened to me once that shift occurred. And I don't know if it's true that we make agreements with people who do bad things to us for our evolution. Maybe. I mean, do we ever know that for real? For sure? Could that be true for some of us and not for others? I mean, there's so many possibilities. I'm never here to tell people what to believe, but I am here to invite. Is there a way that we can think about things and view things that could bring us more joy more pleasure, more wholeness, I think beyond that, because of course it's not always going to be joyful and easy. But yeah, that was a huge turning point for me, my growth. And it also birthed my messages from Shadow Oracle Deck and Healing System because I started realizing that helping people to integrate the dark parts of themselves was, in my perspective, would heal this planet. Mm -hmm. Because the longer we try to avoid those aspects of ourself, the longer we're separate, disconnected, and the longer we keep hurting each other because we keep projecting those things outward and it makes it harder to love and to unite together. Yeah. It's like, it's only the rejection of those dark parts, those shadow parts that is what makes them wrong. Speaking of intuition, about an hour before you showed up, I was washing my hands in the bathroom and looking in the mirror. I was like, huh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. I was like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to come up. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, cool. That sounds awesome. (laughs) If you had asked me, I would have said probably not. I don't really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I was like, I don't know what she's going to tell me about, but that was beautiful. Well, and I think I shared with you when we first started that I looked at my astrology today and it Uh said it's a good day for public speaking and that a good day to share ideas and things. And so I always trust that what comes through is what needing to be heard. I love that so much. The thing that I'm always fascinated about, because I still feel like in linear time, how close I was to the old version of myself. So I can still tap into it sometimes. And what I love is how all of these realities that people are experiencing are always coexisting everywhere around us. And everyone's just having their own experience. And depending on where you are, you just have more awareness to more experiences or not. And I just think it's so funny because I imagine everything that I'm into now, like the reality that I hold today was always around me. Just couldn't fucking see it. Yes. (laughs) Couldn't see it. Totally. I was at the gym the other day. One of my integration from our retreat was I was going to move my body more. I was going to lift heavy shit again. And stop rejecting that part of myself that loved lifting heavy shit. And I was like grunting and I was like, oh, I was having a great fucking time in the gym. And these two bros next to me, like gym bros, love gym bros. (laughs) I was a gym bro for decades. And (laughs) one of them was saying to the other, I'm just laughing. And one of them was saying to the other, he's like, oh, I don't know what it is, but it's like four nights in a row I've woken up at the same time. He's like, I don't, I don't get it. He's like, and it's not 3.30. 
It's not 3.35. I've been waking up at 3.33 a.m. every morning for like four mornings. I bet it means something. Maybe I should look it up. I'm like, I just witnessed a spiritual awakening right now. That's good. Yeah. And it's just like, I think about that. That is happening all the time. Where just Someone was probably listening to me as a gym bro 15 years ago. And being like, yeah, this uh, injury in my back, this maybe this means something more than my squat is <laughs> off. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. 333. I hope you looked it up. I, I hope, hope you did too. I hope you did too. And I shared that with a knot and she's like, oh, did you jump in? Like, in I was like, no, I was honoring myself. That was my journey. <laughs> like, I was in my workout. I was doing my thing. Awesome. I don't even know where we were before I went into that. Bro conversation. Right where we need to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, we were just starting to talk about Shadow Mama stuff. Oh. We were just getting into Shadow Mama. We were. So tell me a little bit about what makes Carrie Shadow Mama, I imagine, lovingly, because everything you do is lovingly, bring out these shadow aspects into the work that you do for your clients and people that you serve. I wish I had words for it, but I think that being too cliche. It's like, it's just who I am. I think the lack of judgment that I hold in my system. I mean, of course I have an ego and there's moments of judgment. I'm not saying I'm enlightened being, and I can zoom out and really have a grace and an understanding and an empathy for all parts of us. And so I think that lends itself to people revealing things to me or to themselves in my presence that maybe they haven't felt safe to explore or to admit before and just being able to illuminate those things. And I didn't even really know that I understood this or didn't really have words for it until I went to the late Debbie Ford's workshop years ago. She wrote the book, one of many, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Great book if you haven't haven't read read that book. And she said to us, raise your hand if you're smart. And there's like 600 of us in this room. So I'm looking around. I don't know. Should I own that? Are we doing that? So I raised my hand timidly. And then she's like, come on. Yeah, you've had smart moments. Come on, raise your hands. And so we all, yay, owning our smart. And then she goes, cool. Now, how many of you are idiots? And we're looking around like, I paid a lot of money. Is she just going to berate us this whole time or what? You know, I'm like, excuse me. And she's like, but your hands better be high for this one too, because you can't own your brilliance you can only own as much of your brilliance as much as you're owning your idiocracy or whatever. Yeah. And she said, it's on a spectrum, right? And she said, so can you think of one dumb thing you've ever done? Right. You know, can you think of one brilliant thing you've ever done? Mm. And the way that she illustrated that just did something Mm -hmm. to my system. And then she has us, you do all these exercises. It's like, you know, what is the worst thing that someone could call you? Mm. What is the thing that you couldn't tolerate being seen as or thought of as. And for a lot of the women, it was like bitchy. For me, I have a thing about being viewed as incompetent Mm. that really, I don't prefer that. You know, it's like, oh God, somebody thought that I wasn't capable of doing something. Mm -hmm. And for each of us, it's different, right? But just really looking at, well, why? And usually there's an experience that led to your rejection of Mm -hmm. that part of us. Like we weren't accepted or loved or belonging. I mean, it's deadly in certain seasons of our life, mainly early childhood, to be 
disliked. I mean, we mm-hmm. are at the mercy of these adults to take care of us. And if they don't, we die. Yeah. So we learn to behave in a way that is pleasing to them or we die mm-hmm. or are neglected or right. whatever. And even when we do try to figure out who we need to be for them, we still feel and are neglected or hurt in some way. But these are our survival mechanisms that come to play. So that's how shadows get hidden. Mm. And it's both our gifts that can be, I think our shadow work can be confusing sometimes. It's not just bad stuff. It's our gifts, our brilliance. Like if I showed a picture that I drew to my dad and he was busy from work and he grunted and didn't really make me feel special and the best artist, I might be like, okay, just tuck that away. I won't show anybody my stuff anymore. And what does that look like in adulthood? You know, I've got a presentation for work and you're shaking like a leaf or you're trying to ask for what you need with a partner and you can't find the words and you're like acting it out passive aggressively. So these are the kinds of ways that this presents. I know that you're familiar. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That just shines some light on something that I'm currently integrating right now with music in my life. And it's like bringing this gift out of the shadow. And in my early childhood, music was rejected for a couple of reasons that I understand now as an adult, but it was rejected in our household. And so like that part of me just got put away to like the deep, dark filing cabinets. And at this whatever stage of my life, for whatever reason, I'm ready to look at it, pull it out and realize that gift is there. And not only is it there, but it lights me up. And I love that you brought that up because I really haven't seen it that way. It's like shadow work also being bringing the gifts out. It's not just the shame and the shadow parts. Exactly. Mm. And I'm so glad if I could say that you're bringing your music out. I felt very blessed by your tunes at the retreat. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. You know, it started for me, and this goes back to their whatever universal divine plan that we don't understand. It started for me at a ceremony and there was sitting around a fire and I've always felt really connected to Native American life. And I never knew why, like if you trace my lineage, I'm not Native American by any stretch, but I've always felt connected. And the music especially like really draws me and activates something in me sitting around this fire. And then the Icaros started, the Icaros are traditional songs. And I was like, smoke was coming on my face. I was like fully focused on the fire and just completely out of my mind. The state that I'm getting at is out of my mind, into my body, just in the experience and they start playing the drum and someone starts throat chanting and singing. And I knew every single word to almost every single song that they played. And there's a woman sitting next to me that I just met and we were chatting. She was like, oh, how many of these have you been to? Like this traditional style. I was like, this is my first. I was like, I have no idea what's happening, but I've been here before. I was like, oh man. And what I find is when I tap into that space in with music of taking it from my mind of these are the technical things you need to do to into my body of feeling it, something activates in me where I connect to something that is much greater than myself. 
a universal knowledge and realm and it's activating this like this creative wisdom in me and it's so different than the way that I thought about learning music in the past or like that process and also in another way it brings out my inner child too it's beautiful and I think because of that I'm learning it so much faster absolutely like having fun with it children are brilliant and so quick to pick things up and it's reminding me of memories are stored sensorily so it doesn't surprise me that you're hearing something and it's like a remembering and like you said an activating it's like what triggers like when you smell something and it can be triggering like a beautiful memory oh that reminds me of my grandma's apple pie or smelling something that links to a traumatic memory or something and so the senses help us to heal because it brings truth and remembrance as well and brings our gifts back. Yeah, I love that. Talk a little bit about, so you're talking about memories stored, is that word sensorily? Sensorily, Sensorily. I said, I don't know if it's a word, but hopefully everyone knows it means with the senses. With the senses, (laughs) If it's not a word. Stored with the senses, and you said that like that can be like good memories, memories that were like, oh, amazing. It can also be memories that maybe we're not excited about. Talk a little bit about that, because this is one thing I did want to get into with you was this topic of trauma in the body, trauma that we're playing out in our mind. I know you have an enormous amount of experience in this. And the way I want to say it is that it feels misunderstood, the way that a lot of people are talking about and experiencing trauma, and trauma work. What is that even mean to you, first of all? Like, what is trauma to you? Trauma to me is disconnection from self. It's a state of fight or flight being in an experience where we are afraid that we're not safe emotionally, physically. In EMDR, therapeutic healing technique, they call them big T and little t traumas. You know, the big T Mm -hmm. ones are the more obvious traumas, maybe abuse of some kind, physical, sexual abuse. But little t traumas are things like a depressed parent who's not able to be fully available and present or something that may not be traumatic to everyone, but it particularly touched you in a way that occurred to the system as trauma. And I'm fascinated sometimes people will say, oh, I don't have trauma you know, we start, we come into this world very traumatically through whether it's a natural birth or medically induced birth. That's shocking Mm -hmm. to go from the safety of our mother's womb to, oh shit, lights, camera, action. This is loud and cold and scary. And I don't know where I am. It's like, hello, trauma. (laughs) The analogy I use is that you're in a quiet mountain cabin in a warm hot tub and you're drinking warm tea and then the lights come on and you're at an, like an EDM concert. It's blasting like a thousand volume. You got lasers in your face. You're like, what? So disorienting. <laughs> yeah. And when I was in school, you know, therapists, and I got trained 20 plus years ago now, so I don't know what they're doing in the graduate programs now, but we didn't really get trained in trauma. Those were like extra things that I specialized in after grad school. So they give baseline techniques and information, but I find that really fascinating. And one of the reasons why I 
chose to do like a full retirement and move beyond is I think there's some missing pieces. You know, everything has some value to some person at some time. Mm -hmm. And I think the traditional therapy world is just coming into understanding Mm. somatic experiencing and the value of the body. You know, for a long time, it was very cognitive. And I find that healing doesn't happen in the head. It's a nice start, but it has to transition down into the heart and into the body. One of my massage therapists always says the issues are in the tissues. Issues in the tissues. Right? And also, one of the most valuable experiences I ever had was going to a training where a master therapeutic healer was working with a client and 10 of us were watching. And it was very intense and the client was making noises and vomiting and I was like ready to call 911. I thought this was an emergency. I thought this yeah. was bad news, like something yeah. very wrong, you know? <laughs> I hadn't seen anything like this. I'm like 25. I'm oh, like, I don't yeah. know what's happening. Uh-huh. And I just witnessed as this practitioner just held this space and let this come up and out of the body. And I thought it just changed the entire course of my career. Therapy isn't always quiet. It's not pretty. It's messy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. If anyone's ever read Peter Levine or anything about somatic experiencing in the body, it's like animals, when they become attacked and they live, they go off to a corner and they shake, they make noises, they defecate, they pee, all the things, releasing, full release. And then they don't have PTSD. They don't need to go to therapy for 25 years. The body took care of it. medications for life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we have a traumatic experience and we have to parent and we have to get back to work. And people just think, well, that happened, but it's over now. Move on. And so we have mechanisms that store that because we don't have the time, the place, the awareness Mm -hmm. that that needs to be released. We take medicine because we think shaking is a disease. You know, we don't realize that that shaking has wisdom. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not opposed to medication. I think there's a time and a place. And I think we're very quick to turn off the check engine light instead of Mm. looking at the engine and seeing why is that check engine light coming on? Yeah. And if we turn it off, then we don't know that there's something at the root that actually needs addressing. Mm. The best analogy I've heard ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad it came through. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's like when we we're literally shutting off the things that our natural evolution is trying to tell us there's a real problem. And we're just like, nope. Don't want to face it. Nope. And I mean, it's not fun. Yeah. But with the right practitioner and the right information, you know, I think trauma therapy and trauma healing starts with information to normalize the process. Like nothing bad or wrong is happening to your body. Mm -hmm. You're sad. You're angry. You're tense. It's your body doing the right thing to try to cope with something that didn't feel good. Mm. And now how do we unwind that? How do we relax your nervous system and take it? The body doesn't know the difference between where it was and where it is. If it gets stuck in that state, Mm. we've got to help it get to this right now moment Mm. so that it can relax. Unwind it. Yeah. What are some of the most important things that people can do or that practitioners can do for people they're supporting to get to that state? of allowing it to unwind. The first phrase that comes to mind is be with, be with what's there, slowing down, 
breathing. And breathing and being in the body when we're traumatized is terrifying. So going slowly, less talking sometimes, more, you know, what are you noticing in the body? If that sensation could talk, what would it say? And I think those are great starting places. You know, I think sometimes we think it's so complicated. We have to do these long processes and it's literally just that. One of my mentors says everything that we touch fully resolves itself. And so trauma is something that we usually don't want to touch. We stay far away from it. So it becomes challenging for it to resolve. Mm -hmm. So what if you could touch it little by little in the presence of another who could hold you while you hold yourself and your system? Why are we afraid as like a, I guess individuals and as a culture of like going into that, into our trauma? Do you think it's because we don't cognitively understand what's happening or is it just we're literally responding out of the emotional state of not wanting to be there, like not wanting to feel uncomfortable? I think it's two things. One, I think there's some physiological, just it's terrifying to be in the body in that way. And I think it's also cultural because not all cultures have that same reaction. Yeah. I was talking with one of the women that was mm -hmm. at our retreat, mm -hmm. beautiful indigenous woman, and she was sharing that in her culture, they don't even have a word for mental illness. And I found that fascinating that they don't view these things as abnormal. One of my teachers would say depression is unresolved grief or we're in need of deep rest or something is stuck in the system. But we've pathologized every thing that is actually a coping mechanism. I think it has some value, but I think it's way overvalued. Yeah. The DSM that diagnoses mm -hmm. the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I think the only diagnosis that exists is we have forgotten the truth of who we are. And then there's a lot of expressions of that addiction, depression, anxiety, because when we know who we are and we feel safe. Mm. So I think those two things, I think as a culture, we can do a better job of normalizing trauma as a response or the effects of trauma as a normal response to something yeah. that was hurtful mm. and scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also like a completely normal process that happens when you're trying to escape the situation is those responses are literally protective mechanisms and it's only the holding on to it is really what brings us decades later to have the same experience. We could talk forever. We could. I love it so much. Cool. Is there anything else you want to share on trauma specifically? On Okay. Yeah. It feels complete. Where are we going as a collective society? Starting with like the Western world, the U.S. Where do you see us in this arena of healing 10 years from now? Yeah, I think we're really in the birth canal right now. And I think it's dark. I think there's a lot of confusion and uncertainty. And my sense is that we're waking up and people who have been asleep for a long time are really coming to or starting to remember our power, which I think is very threatening to both us as individuals, but also our systems that have really benefited from us forgetting who we are and not being connected to ourselves and our truth. We've been easily manipulated. And I think that's both familially, culturally, 
And I think we're stepping into a time that is really asking us to claim our sovereignty, to be deeply, completely ourselves and be with each other. I mean, that's what the age of Aquarius is about. It's the we, but not the we absent of the me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sovereignty is. So my hope and the vision that I'm holding is that there is a reunion with me and the we, the being and the doing, the masculine, the feminine, that there's a return to love in its truest sense. Mm. Not only the word, but actions that back that up and the way that we relate to ourselves and each other from that place. Mm. And what do you think is the biggest factor that's in the way of that, either individually or collectively? Oh, I think there's so much programming, so much programming, a lot of individual and collective commitments to forgetting, to playing small, to realizing how each of us individually really matter in the process of us awakening as a collective and humanity. So I think the release of that block comes when we don't keep expecting somebody else to do the thing and to make the change. And we each realize that it takes a very small percentage of the population to be awake for us all to tip over to a higher level of consciousness. And so if it's so easy, I would invite us each to start doing it because we look at other people and we're like, well, it's easy. Why don't they just make this change? Why don't they do this choice? And that wastes a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And we're not very powerful when we're in somebody else's business. Giving that energy out in a million different directions. (laughs) Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. The way I describe that is like it's one of my values is radical responsibility, really owning all of it. Take it back, own it, stand in it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's something that you have given me more permission to talk about. It's this idea of trauma. My, I guess, traditional upbringing of schooling and everything, I got rocked by an experience where someone questioned not even my integrity, they questioned my knowledge. And in the moment, the same way I couldn't explain my physical patterning of people, I couldn't explain to this person from their experience what I was experiencing. And it's as if we were seeing two completely different movie screens and we were trying to relate to each other. It's a tough spot. (laughs) Tough spot. (laughs) But the way that I received it during that time was that their movie screen was the accurate one. And that's what rocked me. And that was just like a reminder of we're all seeing different movie screens at any given point. And it's valid what we're seeing and it's valid what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Damn it. Damn it. (laughs) So just glad. So this matches your pants, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Your velvet bag. So we were talking before we started about this. Do they all come in this velvet bag? This is the original. Ah. But they usually come in a black velvet bag. Ooh. (laughs) Love it. Perfect. So in the sexy world of spirituality, decks are a thing. They really are. They really are a thing. And I have never seen a deck like this, though. Can you tell me about... 
where this deck comes from and who possibly could bring this shadow deck into the light? Well, this came through me. Uh huh. That's not of me, but it, it came mm-hmm. through me for sure. In part of my awakening, I was looking at all these tools and resources and I was getting really frustrated by angel decks and yeah. all this that kept telling me, it's all working out. You're, You're the on best. track. The angels are with you. And I was like, well, then why do I feel like shit? Like, where's the answer to that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, believe that it's working out and we're on track mm-hmm. and the angels are here. And what the fuck do I do in yeah. human form mm-hmm. when things suck? Yep. And I knew there was something I wasn't seeing that I needed mm-hmm. to see. And so I kept hearing that I was to create something and I kept refusing and rejecting <laughs> and being stubborn like, I, silly, like yeah. I am. I'm like, yeah. I'm a therapist. I don't create that kind of yeah. stuff. And in meditation one day, I was given 33 words, which were shadow Mm. energies and a 34th was later added the ancestor code didn't come through in the original meditation but it Mm. asked to be added and so yes it took nine months for the energies to drop in and then for me to hear how to use this and how it could be a resource to people and so that was 2016 and here we are and many hundreds of decks and Many retreats and Mm -hmm. an app later. Beautiful. Many people being able to have a resource to see what shadow is Mm -hmm. creating resistance in their life and their body and their Mm -hmm. business and their relationship. Yeah. Tell me about the app. Is it based on this? It's the same. Oh, it's the same. It's the same. Virtual. It's virtual. It's just an app version of the physical deck. So cool. (laughs) So what are we going to do today? Tag. Should we pick one for that? I would love for to. The listeners. I'm so into this. Cool. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, listeners. This is a first. A live the first reading live reading. By the by the creator, creator deck. The, deck creator, the, <laughs> the shadow mama herself is gonna do your reading today, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So here's what we know. These transcend time and space. And if you were called to listen this far. I invite you to just take a breath with us and imagine an area of your life that is feeling a bit stuck, stagnant, confusing. I will pull a card that may have a reflection for you of a shadow that is prioritizing for healing and awareness. So the card that is showing up today is the energy vacuum. And this energy clears in the solar plexus right in the belly. This has a lot to do with taking back your power, places where you might be draining your energy that could be better served elsewhere. And so I want to look at the booklet because I channeled this and didn't write it. (laughs) I have no idea what it says, even after all these years. (laughs) That happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So there is an energy vacuum dynamic at play here. What people, places, roles, and or experiences are you allowing to drain your energy? When this pattern shows up, an opportunity for energetic self-care has arrived and is asking for your mindful and compassionate attention. Are you willing to acknowledge where you are feeding off energy that isn't yours and or who you are allowing to feed off your energy to clear this pattern? And the healing mantra that helps move this energy is I'm worthy of standing in my own energy that is fully capable of supporting me and allowing others to do the same. So I'd love to hear from your listeners. I would love to hear. (laughs) How that touches them. Does that touch you 
in any way right now. Absolutely. This mm-hmm. has been a huge place of cleanup for me. Mm-hmm. Anytime I'm stepping into a next version of myself, I look around life and what people, places, things, behaviors, ideas aren't meant to come with me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in new beginnings, there's endings. And if we don't admit those endings, then they drain our energy. And so that's something that I'm very much looking at right now. Who are the people, the relationships that have served and there is a closure and what's meant to move ahead and finding those boundaries and as challenging as it can be, just saying no when it's no. And one of my favorite things is that doesn't resonate with me. Mm. It's really hard for somebody to come back. Well, yes, it does. I mean, what are they going to say? Yeah. It's just like, I'm, that's not resonating for me. Thank you mm. for the offer. It's beautiful. I've never had resistance to it. Yeah. It's hard to come back with anything. For yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. I want it. I want it to resonate. <laughs> Reconsider now. <laughs> Change your mind. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Something that just came to me was my poppy. My grandfather used to joke and he say like, you can't take it with you when you get buried and he's like, Oh, you can't take it with you. And I think about that, like every new level of identity and anytime something dies off, it's like, Oh, I, I can't take it with me. If I truly want to go into this new, I can't take this old with me. It can be really tough. It can be the reason why we hold on for a lot longer than I was going to say we need to, but I also think there's right timing and so what do you need to let go of? What are you holding on to? Who are you letting siphon off your energy in a way that is not serving you? And uh, I wonder what's possible on the other side of letting that clear. Beautiful, folks. So let us know. Let us know if this resonated in any time and space. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm always fascinated by this, especially as it relates to like music and spoken word. and the fact that someone recorded something and we use this technology and then it's put somewhere in the interwebs and at any time someone can go back and listen to this. And I think about that with music all the time of the state of this musician when this came out of them and they don't know that I was going to be listening to this 30 years later or whatever. It's like, what? I was having a moment right before you came in. I was recording some intro trailers and I was having a blast with myself. I heard you out the door. I was having a blast, like enjoying myself fully and doing all these different hilarious takes. And I was like, I hope at some point, some person in a hundred years from now gets this transmission and they learn a little bit what life was like in 2021 with Chris Marefka. <laughs> and so it is. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Carrie, we are coming up on time here. What is time? <laughs> Don't get us started. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like the buzzword for conscious conversations. What is time? <laughs> I'm ready to get some body work. So we do need to wrap we this do up. Need it. Yeah, we're going to go get some body work. So Carrie, in closing first. Where can people find you? Where can people support you? Where can people learn more about the work that you do? CarrieNola.com is my hub. I'm at Carrie underscore Nola on Instagram. You can also go directly messages from shadow.com, which you can also get to from Carrie Nola. 
What is it? Messages, messages from Shadow. That's the deck com. name. Okay. The deck name cool. and the website to download the app or to get the deck. I think you can also download a free reading on there and just play. Awesome. So one last question that I am asking every guast. And got nervous. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> is this last question gonna take me out? <laughs> uh, oh, this is the one. <laughs> no, this is Actually, my intention for this podcast is fully expressed and to be the most vulnerable podcast on the internet. And so I've been asking every guest what vulnerability means to them. What does it mean to be vulnerable? Yeah, I'm thinking of your radical honesty earlier. To me, vulnerability is being radically honest with myself first and then allowing that radical honesty with myself to radiate outward into my relationships. So whether that be open-hearted truth, the thing behind the thing, saying it, living it, being it. Thank you, Carrie. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Chris. You are so welcome. And I'm so glad we met. So glad we connected. I feel like a soul sister. Mm. Same here. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your light, your gifts. You are a embodied example of what it means to me to be fully expressed. Mm. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>